Number 25. That's a quarter. That's a quarter of a century. Uh, 25%. One, one fourth of 100. Number 25. How many, <laughs> how many more times should I say that? That's, that was an, I'm annoyed now. I was in a good mood and I just ruined it by opening my fat mouth and saying stupid things. Uh, episode 25, Digging Holes with Dusty Tunnel. Thank you again for tuning in and listening and, um, I hope you're enjoying it, and uh, I know you're gonna like this this episode. This is a man; it's a good one. Um, but uh, real quick, I just want to go over uh, some comedy dates. Um, well, actually, I don't know if it really matters. I'm heading up to Seattle next week. Uh, my brother is getting married, um, and I will be officiating that wedding. So maybe I'll count that count that as a date, a comedy date, or I mean, I don't know. Uh, I'm going to be talking into a microphone in front of people. Um, so, yeah, fuck it. It counts. Um, that's on the 31st of this month, and uh, I hope to see you there. Um, but while I'm in uh, Seattle, I'm going to actually do a show at a Club Comedy. Um, that's the name of the comedy club, is Club Comedy. Um, on Friday, September 6th at 8 p.m. and also 10.30 p.m., which is dope. I'm really excited about performing in another city and a big city and a city that is well known for comedy. Um, so that's cool. I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, I get back, um, shortly after that. And on September 10th, I will be performing stand up comedy, um, things at a uh, good bar in, um, Point Loma. And that is on September 10th, uh, 8.30 p.m. So you should go to that because that's in San Diego and you're likely living in San Diego if you're listening to this. Uh, so go check it out. Um, I'll be funny or I won't be and other people will make up for me not being funny. But I'll probably be funny. I'm actually probably going to be very funny. Very funny. Dude, I had a great set last night. I did a Throne of Jokes with a bunch of fucking killers. Every single person on that show was just um just murdering. Um, I got fourth place, which gave me an alternate spot. So if somebody drops out of the contest, I guess I get to jump back in. Is how that works. Um, not disappointed at all. Um, I was very happy with my set. It's one of the best sets I've had in a while. Um, and I felt great about it. But um, to even just be considered to like be in the middle of a pack. Um, with the performers that were on that show is like an honor, you know, cause like they just, they fucking murdered. There were, there were so many good comics. Um, and, uh, thank you to Throne of Jokes and Benji and Jesse and, uh, Mike Perry and all those guys for putting me up. That was, I had a blast and I really needed it. I've been frustrated with, uh, comedy things lately. So, um, totally needed that. Uh, and, uh, now I'm feeling it. I'm ready, ready to get back out there and just freaking do it again, dude. I'm, I'm loving it. Um, but that's not, we're not here to listen to me talk, talk about that kind of stuff. Let's get to this episode. So this episode is with, um, comedian Billy Orm. That's O R M E. Uh, 
very funny comedian. Some people say that we look similar. Um, I think that's because we're white and have black frame glasses. Um, pretty unique look. Uh, he's maybe the only other white person with black frame glasses. And um, so that was cool to sit in a room and talk to a white guy with black frame glasses sitting across from me. It was like looking in a mirror. Um, yeah, I feel like I could have been funnier with that. Yeah, kind of bombed on that one. Really fell pretty flat. Um, and I apologize to you guys. You know, they can't all be winners. Not every joke is the good one. But Il Billy Orm is a winner. Oh, how about that transition? Uh, he's dope. He's And he's got a crazy interesting story, man. I learned so much about this guy in this uh, episode. And I know that there's a lot of comedians in um, from San Diego that listen to this. And you're going to fucking love it, dude. Uh, what a great person. And um, just uh, it, it's just really cool to hear... Um, you know, uh, some of his story and get a different, uh, perspective on who he is, um, and how he's become that person. Um, very, very, very nice person. Very funny, uh, produces amazing comedy shows in San Diego. Uh, you should definitely check him out. Um, Billy.Orm, uh, O-R-M-E on Instagram, or just look up Billy Orm on Facebook, obviously. Um, and and check him out um he's one of the one of the guys that you should be supporting um because he's supporting a uh he is one of the pillars um of san diego comedy i think he uh he puts on a lot of shows he's um keeps a positive attitude he's a very nice person he's supportive he's encouraging uh, I'm I'm a big fan of this guy, um, and I think you're going to be too after listening to this. Uh, so without further ado, Billy Orm. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of like it. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can. Cool. Yeah, dude, I like I like your little recording studio and stuff, dude. We I used to do like uh, podcasting. Uh, what's his name? Robert Timothy like has like a thing like over in uh over by City Heights, like I think it was like a recording studio where you actually like have a, re a recording studio with sound barriers and stuff like that. That's dope. It's pretty cool. Yeah, that's um eventually that's what like I'd like to get like my own space where it's like I've got um. Uh, kind of like you were talking, like uh, like foam or something to keep the acoustics good. But um, I don't know. We're just renting this place right now. But I'd like to get a space where I can actually like let other people use like the studio for. Cool, cool. I don't know. Um, so what's up, dude? How's your day been? You want to talk about it? Not bad, dude. Um, today today wasn't too bad. I mean, like we I, I work with individuals with disabilities. Yeah. So you're the perfect person for it, dude. They probably relate. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah, no, I have a I have obsessive compulsive disorder. Oh, do you really? Like yeah. legitimately? Yeah, oh, legitimately. Okay. Like the three hand washing kind of thing. Mm. Try not to touch doorknobs, shit like that. Oh, okay. And uh, so when these guys go into their little routines, dude, I understand why they're like irritated or why you have to break their routine. Yeah. So. Um. What What are What kind of disabilities are you working with? 
So anywhere, like you have like congenital brain injuries, like some people like, I think we have like maybe two or three people out of 400 that have congenital brain injuries where they were normal and now there's just something going on with them. Like they had like a traumatic experience and that's what happened. Um, like a traumatic have, experience, like physically, right? Yeah. Like yeah. It, so like it hit their head trauma, or something. Maybe okay. like got into a car accident okay. or abusive father, something like that. Wow. Kind of uh, that's, that's hard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then you have the other guys that are just like, uh, you know, like autism, ADHD, Alzheimer's, dementia and stuff. Yeah. So, huh. But, um, uh, what age group? Honestly, anywhere from like, I think like 19, we accept like high school. Someone who's just coming out of high school, who went to an alternative school, who was like, uh, you know, in the special education program there, graduated, and now they're looking for a day program. Oh, uh, okay. Because um, the parents are like, look, we need to get them interacting with different people. We don't, we're not going to be here all day. Plus, we have a job, so we want to be able to go to our job. You guys can, like, take care of our kids, show, a, show them some social skills, teach them some vocational skills of how to work. And then uh, we'll come pick them up after that. So damn, dude, that's pretty cool. How yeah. how long you've been doing it? I've been like at this job for almost three years. Wow. So Were you doing similar stuff before this job? Similar stuff, like as far as like showing, uh, you know, prison individuals, like you know, prisoners how to do like uh, vocational skills and stuff. Damn, that's so. that's gonna be pretty re- rewarding. Like both the prisoners and like the uh, disabled. That's it cool. is, dude. I mean, you get a lot of great material from it. Like, yeah, I would imagine. Prisoners and stuff like yeah. that. I mean, well, they don't call them prisoners. They call them not just inmates, but they call them like workers. Oh, uh, okay. Um, so they're moving away from like calling them like prisoners and stuff. And they're trying to be, I guess you could say the world, the government's trying to be more p- politically correct. Mm. So they call they call them like workers. Yeah. Just like with these guys, like the individuals with disabilities, they were calling them consumers for the longest time. The thing is, though, is like, I mean, I guess you could say in a way it makes us equal with them because we're both consumers. Like I'm consuming Starbucks. You're mm-hmm. consuming your tea. You're doing what you're doing. Yeah. They're consuming services and all that. But that's not who we are. Like, I'm not just a consumer. I'm a person. Yeah. And right. they're a person. So what we call them is like students, uh, workers, like when they go out in the community and pick up litter. Um, and then you also got like. I think you could call them like artists. Mm. Um, we have something downtown, and my, like I'm not gonna say on this podcast, but I'll, I'll tell you afterwards. But uh, yeah. they have something in downtown, like El Cajon, uh, on Magnolia Avenue. They have like a art gallery, and each month they throw like a an art like kind of thing where an artsy kind of thing, where they serve like I think like wine, cheese. People come by, they see their art and everything, and then they decide they bid on it. And oh, that's it. cool. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the um, individuals with disabilities. Yeah, sure. uh, okay. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. My uh, my cousin he, in Bakersfield, he um, he's a teacher at a school, and I forget how they uh, how they grade the like the levels because uh, I guess there's different levels. But he works with like emotionally. Um, emotionally i guess they call them yeah. disturbed but yeah like, just like what a, yeah i'm not sure what the what the right terminology is but um he he did this really th- cool thing uh it's actually the first podcast i did he talks talks about it um he did this really cool thing where he started a chess club and some of the like most difficult students that he had got super into chess and it like they did like a 180 and they became like the best students they're able to focus 
um i don't know it's just kind of cool like uh you brought up the art thing i just think it's yeah. cool like to have something to focus on like rather than trying to fix somebody uh like to mold them to fit in society or whatever like giving them uh the opportunity to like be creative exactly so focus. and that's what you gotta do man opportunities yeah um because because we have to send over consent forms like we have consent forms for like if they get hurt uh, absences and everything like that well one of the consent forms is their rights and we go through this thoroughly with the individual mm-hmm. like you wouldn't believe how many individuals with disabilities don't understand that they have rights mm. like the higher functioning ones they definitely do and they advocate for those rights they're like well it's my right to if i want to buy this lunch i can buy this lunch or if i want to do this i can do this and stuff um but yeah the idea of just giving choices and stuff yeah and as far as like going into the idea of like working with someone like in an alternative school or in Bakersfield and stuff like that, it could be, it's like relatable to working with individuals in prison, mm. like giving someone a book and saying, fill this out and you'll get a time cut off your sentence is not as productive as saying, let me go through this with you and let me show you like how we could work together as a team to get through this. Like, cause you're doing time, you're not happy about it, but let's find a way to curtail that anger. So the next time, you're not hitting somebody. You're not punching the wall. You're not throwing something at somebody. You're not yelling at your wife. You're finding a way to hone that so that when you go home to your wife, you're going to have a healthier relationship. Yeah. So when you go home to your family, you're not going to hit your little brother or something like that. So That's cool. Yeah, dude. One of the uh, one of my favorite Instagram accounts is like a, an account that um, takes rescue dogs uh, to prisons, and then they teach inmates how to um, – uh like train and take care of the dogs and it like it's part of their rehabilitation i yeah. fucking i love it i, I well, like kind of like the birdman alcatraz like have you uh-huh. ever read that bird? yeah yeah, it's yeah. Like burt lancaster movie and uh, he takes he finds a bird he takes care of it he nurtures it nurtures it or whatever and that's kind of like uh i think it's like animal i think like rehabilitation kind of like that yeah yeah so, it shows you how to be responsible and take care of like something else and take care of another life take yeah. care of yourself being yeah. able to give back to somebody and, yeah and, i love it dude that's like my uh my favorite thing is to watch the graduation speeches i like i just sit there and like watch them and cry a little bit yeah, yeah. yeah. when yeah. those guys uh honestly when i worked with you know offenders and stuff like that man i mean you have god dude when i worked with those guys it was like and they call them offenders, too. Like, yeah, yeah I, I've worked with sexual offenders and stuff like that, but I've also worked with individuals that were a part of a gang and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, it's do, and it's sad when you see the one guy that comes up to you and you're like, man, I feel like you could have a lot of potential. Like, I feel like you could go to college. I could see you having a business, you know, owning your own business, you know, being successful, having a wife and having a kid. And you could just look at someone's eyes and just know that's where they, that that's where you would like them to go. But then their other future is kind of like, it's like a damn Kendrick Lamar song, dude. Have yeah. you ever heard the song Money Trees where he's talking about, like, I'm in, the, I'm in the streets with a heater under my dungarees, dreams of me getting shaded under a money tree. That's the life that they have. They don't necessarily want that life, but because they believe that they're, like, a victim of the system, that's all they're going to get is selling, selling weed, selling drugs. Yeah. So they don't respond to anything that you say. And then, you know, a year later, you read that they got shot. Or that they're back in prison after they got released, or that they tried to rob, rob like twenty dollar trees in one night so they could make ends meet for their mom, who's not doing so well. Yeah, that's sad. Yeah, but then you have the other side of it where you have like 
someone like if you like listen to Joey Diaz, mm-hmm. Joey Diaz talks <laughs> about doing a you know Love complete three sixty. Uh-huh. And he's like, yeah, dude, I kidnapped somebody and I did this. And I did That's like that. the best story. It is. But yeah. He called him back. One, I think he called right. him back after, you know, he hadn't talked to him in a while. He oh, yeah. The guy came to one of his shows. He yeah. was ta- I, I was listening to him on maybe it was his own podcast. I don't know. I listen to it sometimes. But he was like, yeah, the guy came to my show and we had like a, a long talk afterwards and there's no hard feelings and all this stuff. It's like, that's so rad. Like that. He he could be in a situation where he was kidnapping somebody, and like I don't know how many years later it's been, but like the however many yeah, l- like years, years later. yeah, the guy's coming to a show and all is forgiven and yeah, yeah complete one eighty, yeah. That's how it is, man, dude. I used to, um, oh man, I think I a couple of the offenders that I used to that I used to like look after while I was in the prison system for the adults, because I, I I yeah I worked in Plainfield, Indiana. I won't name the facility. But uh, I ended up, like, friending them a year after, like, I had quit and stuff. And a year after, they had left and stuff. Because we left around the same time. And a couple of them, dude, it's good to see how their life turned out. But then you have one guy that he's, like, an alt-right guy. And I'm like, all right, dude, well, I'm going to have to unfriend you now. That's ridiculous. Like, your life could have been so great, dude. You were a tattoo artist in a prison. like, (laughs) And that's not cool that you're a tattoo artist because people could get, like, hep C and shit. Yeah, but like he was a—I mean, he was a tattoo artist when he got out, and then he just fell in back into that life of crime. Yeah. But then the other guy—he's got like a kid, a girlfriend. He moved. I think he—he he lived in San Diego, but he preferred to live in Indiana because it's cheaper. Mm. He's got like a—you know—he runs his own business. That's cool to see. People need to know they have an opportunity so they can make a difference. Yeah, so. I think it's just about a like showing that there's other options i guess huh? mm-hmm. yeah that's cool that's how it is. um did any of this lead you up to wanting to try comedy or beginning comedy or well i mean i did i did like in 2011 like i needed an internship i was like dude i need to get an internship uh it was my i just graduated walked across the stage but they were like hey you still have two some two technical semesters to go which means mm-hmm. two more months so in june you have another like uh you have a month uh, of you know doing your general requisites and stuff prerequisites and then the next month you have an internship so you better figure it out so i tried to get a hold of somebody in may I tried to get a hold of bob and tom's show it's real big out in the midwest mm-hmm. couldn't get a hold of anybody They're it like, used to be really big out here it doesn't i don't think it is as much anymore but no it kind of fell yeah. off now barstool yeah. sports is it's kind of a spinoff of like because oh, yeah. you have like pat mcafee who is a colts player and everything yeah He's a real good podcaster. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Todd McComas was like, he mentored me like with my comedy. Oh, wow. So he was on, he's on Barstool uh, comedy, but he oh. mentored me when I was like going to Morty's comedy joint in 2011. And oh, that's cool. when I got, I got accepted. They were like, let's do an internship. And what happened was like, uh, one of the guys was like, okay, I can teach you about money and promotions, which was a, which is now the bigger part of comedy for me. Like, material is great, but I need to know how to promote myself. That's mm-hmm. bigger than anything. And the other guy was, like, uh, Chris Chris Bowers. I mean, he's he's out here now. Uh, and, unfortunately, Morty's Comedy joins no more, but they gave me my first opportunity. Did my first two, then my three, then my five. Ended up winning, like, a contest. Like, could have opened for some heavy hitters in comedy. Maybe, like, I think Dave Chappelle was out there. I think at that point they before they gave you a choice of like where you would like you know to do your guest set 
like, hey, you know, would you like, where would you like to do your guest set? And I would always, you know, for me, if I would have had the opportunity, I would have done a guest set for Chappelle. Yeah. It doesn't mean they would have, like, put me up. Yeah. Because uh, it's at the discretion of the club. But I did comedy there, did comedy in the military, started, like, uh, with the offenders and the prisoners, I would always, like, make them laugh. Because I think it was more rewarding making them laugh. And making the troops laugh and stuff like that than the audiences I do today. Like, some of the audiences today, yeah, it's rewarding. Yeah. But those guys aren't, like, s- some of those guys aren't serving time. They didn't have to deal with so much shit. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I, I think I could understand that where, like, somebody's just in a rough situation. So, like, giving them the opportunity to forget about it and laugh for a little yeah. bit. Yeah, that would be and pretty rewarding. And it was rewarding. fun, man. Yeah. Like, you know, I mean, so that was cool. Got the opportunity to do that. Made people laugh. Uh, got a couple jokes from the juvenile juveniles that I worked with. Because I worked with adults, then I switched to juveniles. So I worked with them. They call them juveniles, but they're actually still students. But the age range is like from like 12 all the way up to like 22. Oh, okay. So Or 21 in like 364 days. 21-year-olds are still kids as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're considered that. Some of them drink and drive and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I got a lot of good comedy material from them, and then that kind of pushed me to do more comedy. Um, around that time I was working in the prison, I didn't perform because I had too much stuff going on. But then eventually I got out here and started performing more and more and more and more and more. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the guys that I'm pretty sure was incarcerated at the, same, at the time, I think he might have been someone I was looking after. But it, it didn't come to light until we ended up doing comedy together. And he was like, were you at the Plainfield uh, such and such facility? Did you work there? I was like, yeah. And he's like, I think I might have remembered you from there, dude. Like, uh-huh. <laughs> do you remember a guy that had a tattoo like this across his like, and I'm not going to say the tattoo because the dude might be listening, but yeah. like, <laughs> do you have the tattoo like this and the tattoo on the back? And I was like, I think so. And he was just like, damn, dude, you were like, you, I think you were my <laughs> officer at that time. I was like, and now I'm your friend. How does that feel? Oh, uh, that's cool. But he did comedy world. in prison, dude. Like, uh, uh I think what, so while he was while he was an inmate, he was doing comedy. This is the the third stint because he couldn't pay uh, for he couldn't get a job. He was trying to get a job and everything, and people weren't hiring him, so he had to go back because he didn't have a job. Well, he was he made me want to go back and do stand up because you get hiatus after a while. You're like, is it worth it? Whatever. This guy was doing stand up in jail, and he used his J pay. They call it J pay, and he's on there and he's recording it. And then they had a projector in this uh, this place where he was doing stand-up all the time before he got locked up. And they projected it onto a wall, and they're like, all right, guys, come to the stage, so-and-so. And everyone's like, where the hell is this guy? Where is he at? And then everyone's like, no, look up there. And then he's like on his J-Pay screen telling jokes. <laughs> like he was like, hey, guys, you guys want to know what a colon cut in half is? A semicolon. <laughs> <laughs> he's doing his thing. People behind him are like, man, that's some cheese dick jokes. <laughs> They're making fun of him and shit. That's what they sound like uh, at prisons in that's Indiana. That's what they huh? sound like. They really do. Man, that's some Every cheese dick one. jokes. <laughs> they sound like... <laughs> They sound pretty crazy, man. But nah, yeah. dude, that's that made me be like, dude, what the hell am I doing? If he can get up and he pays twenty dollars to do a five minute set, he's paying twenty dollars for that JPEG to do a five minute set. What the hell am I doing? Why can't I get up? Right, right. So then I, that's what made me want to continue to go Start up. Start grinding real hard, mm-hmm. huh? Yeah. Um, how long have you been doing comedy now? 
if if we say consistently, I'd say three years. If we okay. say inconsistently, eight years, nine years. Yeah. But I don't count the inconsistency. Yeah, I'd, I was inconsistent for a while too, and yeah, I'm start starting to grind a lot. Get more. back up there, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of it's pretty amazing how much better you get when you're like you you know you hear people say like you oh you need to get up every single night kind of a deal but uh until you actually do it it d- doesn't register like wow i've gotten so much better like this past year i think i've gotten way better yeah dude i think there's a lot of people that have i mean and it's just i mean i could tell that you i, I could definitely tell you've gotten better dude i think i'd seen you like Thanks. a year ago i know you've gotten better yeah. same with me and I don't, I don't think it's true that you have to get up every night. And I say that because a lot of these guys, they want to get up every night. Mm-hmm. They want to get up. It's like work, comedy, work, comedy, work, comedy. And I think Brody Stevens said it best and Zach Galifianakis said it best when they were like, it's all about self-care. It's all about a balance. Like if I got up every night like I used to, I'd get burned out so damn quickly. Yeah. Because I did get burned out last year. And I had to stop for like two weeks. Yeah. And so I say like go up if you can get up five times a week, regardless that's, if it's Tuesday or Wednesday. Yeah, that's kinda my goal is is five a week right now. But yeah. I'd like to do more, you know. Yeah. Um but yeah, I think you're right. Uh it's gotta be like quality stuff. I don't wanna be going up just to be going up. Yeah. I wanna I wanna be taking away something from every time I go up, you know. Like whether it's uh the delivery of a joke got, was better or I just like a little bit of crowd work or maybe something sparked a, a new idea for a tag. So, like I want to come away with something. Yeah. I don't want to go up there just going through the motions kind of a deal. But I think you're right. Like, um, cause, uh, when you start to see open micers or like comedians doing jokes about performing comedy, yeah. then you know then you know that they're going up too much because they're not living a, like a life they're not drawing from like regular life you know what i mean so like yeah. i want to i want to be living my life so that i have things to draw from and write jokes about that other people are going to get you know like it's you can tell jokes about being a comedian but the only ones that are going to laugh are the comedians because the a regular audience doesn't know like yeah. they're not going to relate yeah i mean there's so many people man i'll see that they go up and they'll just say like, or there'll be people off stage. They're like, man, I hate comedy. I hate comedy. I hate comedy. It's like, dude, if you, I mean, I, and I think it's because like some people will say I hate comedy because there's either an envy or there's a type of jealousy. Yeah. They hate comedy because how happy other people are seeming to be with their comedy with themselves. Mm -hmm. They don't have that kind of self-esteem. So then they project it on the others or it's maybe their way of saying like, they love comedy, but they act like they hate comedy because that's the cool way to be. Because if you actually say that you love comedy, then you're. It's kind of like the '90s. They'll call you freaking gay if it like, and that's just mm-hmm. how it is. It's not politically correct, but they'll be like, "Oh man, that's so gay. You love comedy." Yeah. But I actually love comedy, man, because mm-hmm. it helps me keep a balance in my life. But if I don't have a life, how am I going to be able to appreciate comedy better? Yeah. And going up four times a week, I agree with the quality. Like yeah. I'll go up on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Those are my r- really big days. And then, like, Mondays are with my fiance, and then Thursdays, too. And then Fridays, sometimes I'll have a show, and sometimes Saturdays I'll have a show. So it's a mix of shows yeah. and mics and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think but, that's a healthy a healthy way of, of looking at it. Um, yeah. And I can see, like, 
what you say about uh, people that say they hate comedy too. Like uh, my, the thing that I fall into that I have to consi- like consistently check myself on is uh, like being upset that I'm not getting booked places, but I'm like, it's my own fault. I'm not putting myself out there and I know that I'm not, I'm not like, you know what I mean? You so, just gotta ask because yeah. a lot of the, a lot of the people are like afraid like as comics. And I think Jerry Seinfeld said this, we're like timid individuals. Like uh-huh. We're afraid yeah. to talk to one another. Yeah. Or Han- I think Hannibal Burr said that. We're timid. If we're in a room full of comics, some of us are more timid than others. Like with me, I think for a while I was just like, man, I'm, I'm disappointed with why I'm not getting booked. But the thing is, like, I could be getting booked more and stuff if I put myself out there. Yeah. Like, and with as many times I put myself out there writing a novel and stuff, I have to write query letters. Yeah. And query letters are basically like, hey, this is why you should publish my novel. Well, with me, I'm making a, a consistent verbal rebuttal of a query letter to other comics saying, hey, man, this is why you should book me. Like, I can't go up to them and say, oh, you're booking this person and, like, not me. And I know I got time, dude. That's not fair. It's like, no, no, the world doesn't owe you anything. Right, right. So when you put yourself out there, that's the even thing. if you get 100 rejections, dude, there's going to be one person who's going to be like, dude, I want to book that guy. And they're yeah. going to consistently book you more and more and more. And then they're going to go up to bat for you. Then you're going to get booked more. Yeah. But you'll never know if you sit back. Yeah, it's but it's kind of like you were talking about. Um, you were talking about trying to figure out uh, like how to market yourself in that part of comedy. Yeah, that's like the thing that I'm like really like the my my weakest thing is uh like networking and all that kind of stuff. And I'm well, really dude. trying to put. That's kind of what this is about too. You know, it's like it's sort of selfish in a way where this is gonna this allows me to meet people that maybe I wouldn't normally have like because I'm a timid person I don't normally have the courage to well, maybe approach it's not or your whatever. Timid. Like dude, you're like I mean like you okay, yeah, a little bit timid, but um but you're also working a lot too. Oh yeah, we're, So you I have to hash out lot, time yeah. to meet with that person. Mm-hmm. So the fact that like you're you're practicing that socialization to hatch out time to meet with a person it means that you're trying to hone that idea of social networking. Yeah. And that's the that's the positiveness of it. Mm-hmm. Cuz people really respect that. They respect your time. If you respect their time, they're going to respect your time. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's pretty awesome, man. Yeah. I mean, you know what it's like, too. It's not, you, it sounds like you're constantly grinding work. All and, the time, dude. Yeah. All the time. And, like, it's more of a hell, dude. Like, honestly, comedy's helped me put myself out there more in my work life, too, and just be more, like, open about things that I may not like about the job or... Mm-hmm. Like open about like how we can better improve the job. It's yeah. made me like a lot smoother with like how I speak to people rather than how I used to be, which was brash mm-hmm. and elongated words and stuff like that. What I'm saying is like, dude, where I learned how to like social network was like I think I think it's like there's like two two people who taught me how to social network. One is Walter Ford, and then the other is Michelle, my my fiance and stuff. Mm. Walter, dude, he just grinds and grinds and grinds, dude. Mm. And he'll take these, like, one minute. He'll take, like, a five-minute video from one night, and he'll cut it up into snippets. And over time, he'll take the best parts of those one minute, and then he'll put it up, and then people will see that. And that's what got him booked on Steve Harvey. Oh. Like, uh, And the same thing with Zara Ali. Like, Zara Ali was on that same show, and Bilal was on that same show. But Walter and Zara were on the same show. And Zara, like, put herself out there by doing the same thing that, like, Walter was doing. But she's been doing the comedy longer, so she's got the game down. 
and she does her facial recognition show. She goes to New York to do that show. She goes to L.A. putting herself out there once again. Walter putting himself out there. This dude opened for Larry King. He opened for one of my favorite comics. I think his name's like Clayton Thomas, uh, who was on Laugh Factory. Uh, Look him up. He's pretty pretty solid. That's a Uh, good uh, good name. Clayton yeah. Thomas, like Clayton that. Thomas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same thing with Bilal, dude. Bilal did the same thing. I know yeah. I'm name dropping, but it's yeah. all positivity towards these guys. Yeah, yeah. And I think uh I think a lot of that well, I mean, they're obviously grinding, but I think a lot of it is just putting content out there too, like consistently putting content out there. Yeah, but not putting like okay, so one of the mentors of like Walt Walter and mine, uh mm-hmm. Wayne Big Wheezy. His name's Big Wheezy. Yeah, Big Wheezy. Yeah. He's a funny guy. And uh, you know, like He's t- he told me like after a show, and Amid Amid did the same thing. Amid Amid like he uh, funny comic or whatever, really great. Knows Vince Vaughn, worked with Vince Vaughn and Swingers, was Party Guy extra. These guys are telling me the same thing all the time. Get yourself a five minutes, trim some of trim some of that five minutes or whatever, put it in a video, and then get, like with that you'll say the you'll say the set the premise to set up the punchline. And then people are going to be like, oh, I got that 30 seconds. What's the other 30 seconds? Or is there more minutes? And then they'll want to do the same thing. They'll follow you on Instagram because they're going to want to continue to follow your journey. Keep doing that and and put yourself out there and you'll get that. Yeah. Same thing with the podcast. And that's how you'll get on shows like, like Walter got on like Steve Harvey and opened for like Larry King. That's how Wayne Big Wheezy ended up opening for like Cat Williams. He took a look at him and was like, there you go. Zara Ali doing facial recognition in New York and LA. It's and then my my fiance dude she she likes like Shane Dawson or something like that. And if you've never heard of him, he's just this big YouTube god or something. Makes a lot of money. She's like she started blogging the other day. I'm like, why the hell do you have a camera in my face? And she's like, because it's gonna promote me for one. For two, when I get into real estate, that's going to help me out because people are going to know I'm bubbly and I'm traveling and I'm doing everything I can to embrace my life. So I'm going to embrace helping others with their life. It's a good marketing strategy. Nice. You should, um, when we get to the plugs, you should plug her stuff too. Oh yeah, dude. Yeah. That's dope. her and Walter. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, uh, you, you do a lot of writing too. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what kind of genres are you writing? So, I basically like write like science fiction, not hard science fiction. Like you have uh, something called a genre hard science fiction, where it's basically like everything is l- kind of like how Andy Weir did The Martian. Everything was like key facts, key things about different types of like how you could grow food on Mars. Mine is more like thriller mixed with crime, drama, and science fiction all rolled into one. Okay. Um, one is like about a gamer. Like he ends up going, uh, he ends up getting into a run-in with the mafia because they want him to, to toss a game. They want him to lose, and they want to build. Oh, they okay. want to build their guys up so they can make more money for the mafia. And the odds were stacked for their guy to win, or for the one guy to lose. So the guy ends up losing. He ends up getting bleach poured into his eyes. He ends up getting his arms cut off and he has to find a way to make a comeback into the gaming scene to be on top once again. <laughs> but he gnarly. has to do all that while like dealing with blindness. And what it's like to be blind and armless pretty much. Dang. And then the other one is just memoirs, man. Like I'm writing a memoir right now. It's called Andy Grows Up. And uh but it's like dot 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 and he grows up 
Uh, okay. And it's about like just like me traveling from Indiana to here to California, being discharged from the military honorably, and then leaving child protective service work and working in a prison and being homeless, all that stuff. And then you were homeless. Yeah, like twice. No way. Yeah, let's, dude. I was lucky about that. to live out of my car though. Oh, I had okay. like a truck. But I lived in a house, dude. It was like this rundown old raggedy house. It didn't it wasn't it didn't used to be like that, but it's like this uh late eighteen hundreds, like I think Elizabethan house or Victorian house, whatever. I don't know genres with that. But um Yeah, I don't either. But yeah. I'll shake my head like I do though. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it's Elizabethan, I guess. It's a it's a fixer upper. I live with my buddy and his kids. And something ended up happening where, like, uh, we just, it just, it, the house just fell apart, dude. So he went his way, he moved away, and I, I moved over to, like, I put a down payment on a new apartment literally blocks from that street. And the lady, like, the landlady was like, look, I can't have you living in here. We got to clean the carpets. I'm like, dude, I don't give a crap about you cleaning the carpets. I'll clean the car- carpets, but mm-hmm. why are you making me, like, you realize I don't have a house. I need some place to live. So the lady was just like, well, you know, I don't know what to tell you. So I went to go live with my gay friend for like two days. And then he apparently like his gay lover liked me. And so uh, he got jealous and then he told me to get get the F out. Wow. So I go to leave. And then so I go to like now this is like, I think, day four. Like I got like a week and two days or three days. So I go to get in my car and I go to head over to my other friend. My other friend who I've been friends with for like since 2009, it's like, I think at that time it was like for four or five years we had been friends. I was like, hey man, I need a place to stay until we get our place. And I paid for the the whole apartment essentially. He didn't pay for anything. And he said, look dude, I don't think I can have you over because my girl's over. And I was like, dude, I get that, but, dude, I'm not going to have a place to stay, dude. What the hell am I supposed to do? You got the boot from the straight and gay angles, dude. Yeah, That's dude. crazy. And wow. so what I did was I just ended up just, I guess, just sitting in my car. <laughs> and I ended up driving. Well, I drove my, like, uh, I drove my Dakota Sport, Dodge Dakota Sport, dual, like, back. I drove it over to, I'm trying to think, a cemetery. I parked all the way in the back by this building. I turned I turned off the lights in my car. <laughs> I know, dude. <laughs> but see, crazy. out there, out there, it's like a cemetery safe. Like you're not gonna go yeah, park because it's all white people ghosts yeah. in Indiana. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. But then, like out here, like people are crazy about it. They're like, ah, you can't sleep in your car. Da, da, da. There's a law. But in Indiana, they yeah, don't give a crap. So I slept in my car, listened to the Forrest Gump soundtrack, whatever. <laughs> That got my spirits pretty high. <laughs> and then like a week and a half later, I made it, dude. Made it to my apartment. And uh, congratulations, man. I'm oh, glad you made it. Yeah, yeah dude. <laughs> the first time I was homeless, like, oh, God, dude, it was ridiculous. So I lived in a fraternity house. I'm not going to name the fraternity. And uh, I was just like, I think I had just left the fraternity. I was just like, look, I can't be a part of this anymore. da, 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 da. My mom has cancer. I'm trying to take care of her. I'm going to be tending back and forth to her. I don't want any distractions. But over the summer, I'd like to live, you know, I'd like to stay in Franklin. You know, I don't want to move all the way. That's where I went to college is Franklin, Indiana. I was like, I don't want to move up to back up to Marion. I have a job down here, whatever. So in the last two weeks of that, it's always the two weeks thing. In the last two weeks (laughs) before college, 
everybody was starting to come back. Well, some people were coming back. And one of the guys who had, I, were the, the room I lived in at the time was like, look, dude, I'm going to be living in here. I'm going to need to get the hell out. What? And I'm like, dude, I'm still paying rent. I just paid like two grand to live in that house over the summer. and uh, Or $200 or something like that. And he's like, are you kidding me? Dude, I need you to get the hell out. Like, I have to live here. And I'm like, dude, why don't you live in somebody else's room until I get done living here? And so he got all, like, pissed off about that, kicked me out, talked to the president, kicked me out. And they're like, well, technically, you're not a member or whatever. You got to get the hell out. Wow. So I left. So I had to call some old lady named Vanessa, who I worked with at Applebee's. God bless her. And she was like, you can stay with us. Da, da, da. And Eventually, I was like, ah, okay, I'll stay with you for a couple of days. And then I eventually stayed in my car, a Cavalier at the time. But I made that out, too. So like, <laughs> I'm good. Like, that's Dude, that's pretty wild. What uh, what branch of the military were you in? Uh, Army National Guard. Oh, cool. Okay, but I, I I didn't know like this whole time. Yeah, dude, yeah. I, I don't really broadcast it, dude. Like yeah. I know that we got guys out there that broadcast it. They'll be like, "Yeah, I was in the military. Give it up for me." Yeah, well, I mean, some uh, some people don't broadcast it, but it's just like obvious that they were in the military. Like you, uh, you don't like look like a military guy. No, me. not anymore. I mean, yeah. dude, I used to have like the the shape of it, kind of like the look of it. The yeah, well, I don't know. You like, I mean, you wear like a raider's hat all the time. Yeah, like yeah. there's like just like uh, military guys are usually, you know, like I mean, your hair is pretty like like cut short and stuff, but you always have the hat on, so I guess that's like the big difference. Yeah. Well, well you have some guys do that. They're just like uh, they're just made for it. They look like it. They. They dress like it. They act like it. They have jokes about it. Yeah. I don't really talk about like being in the military too much. It was just kind of a drag for me. Like I liked, I liked it a little bit, but there was just so much like fucking politics, dude. Excuse my language, but God, it's like any. I mean, you got politics anywhere. Yeah. But uh, so there was like some stuff, like in the military. Like I had depression and anxiety. That's it was pretty obvious. And uh, I was out and I was shipped out in Sierra Vista, Arizona, and I was doing military intelligence. And so one night I was just really just I, I was just wasn't feeling my feeling good, wasn't feeling myself. Told my roommate that, God bless him, like he he would try to do the right thing, but in the end I probably shouldn't have said anything. But I was just like, dude, I'm not feeling good, man. I'm you know I just kind of want to hang myself. I don't want to fucking be here. Like, I hate it. Like, I just want to hang myself with, like, a, you know, a shower curtain or I just want to kill myself. I'm just angry at the world. I'm angry that I can't be there for my mom. She has cancer. I'm angry for my nephew. His, mm-hmm. He damn near got his neck snapped in womb. Like, this would have been the second baby that my, like, friend lost. The friend uh, that was from, like, the house that we used to have together that fell apart. Oh, uh, okay. This is the friend that, like, his first kid died from a miscarriage. The second kid like the umbilical cord was wrapped around the kid's neck for like a uh, day, almost a day. And so they're so like uh, the family was like, I got to go in there and we got to fix this. We got to get that umbilical cord unwrapped somehow, some way. So she had to go into an early, 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 early pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Like it was she he's like a, the guy was the kid was a preemie. Like he's like born like three months earlier than expected. Wow. So he could have died. And then so they put him in like a. uh like, they had to put him on, like, life, I think, life support or something. Dude could have died. So I was, like, pissed off, powerless, like, couldn't do anything, couldn't go back, asked for furlough, couldn't leave. 
I had to stay on this damn base in the middle of nowhere in Arizona. Didn't have anybody. Felt like I was isolated and stuff, and I was going to kill myself, dude. Mm -hmm. So all that shit comes down the pipeline. Like, when the military is like, be honest with us, when you're going through the military entry process service and stuff, um, you you can't be. You can't say that, oh, I have depression and anxiety or separate. You know, like, sometimes I have anxiety with being separated from individuals that – I love and stuff. You can't say that because then now you're not deployable. You're not ready for like duty mm-hmm. and everything. Like you have to be ready to leave whenever. Yeah. Like you have to be able to go to Afghanistan or underway whenever. And so I would go to therapist out there. Eventually got cleared. Then I come back to Indiana. Have to go to more therapist. Have to get cleared. I got cleared by a civilian, not an actual like military like doctor. So they made me go to a military doctor who was dressed in, like, greens and stuff. That's the terminology for, like, mm-hmm. army suit. This guy didn't like me from the start. He was just, like, uh, questioning me about just random stuff that was not pertinent. And I was just like, dude, what what does my sex life have to do with my men- mental, like, you know, illness mm-hmm. and stuff like that? Like, yeah. I like to fuck. That's I'm sorry. That's just me. Like I like to have sex with a lot of people and stuff like that. Isn't that all of the mil- military? <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. I think that's but, all of the military, from what I understand. <laughs> but here's the zinger and stuff like that. Like, and this is something you probably didn't know. Uh, like being, being like sexually ambiguous in the military is not cool. It's not what they want. It's not what they like. Uh, so if you ever say that you've had encounters with the male. Like, uh, you know, with the male species or what have you, <laughs> before you go into the military, they don't like that. If you ever say something like, if they ask you questions like, would you ever think, like they were asking me questions like, would you ever think about doing that while in Afghanistan? Would you ever think about having sex with a transgender individual? These were questions they were asking me. That's wild. Like that. Wow. And so I'm sitting there like, dude, I'm, you know, like at, you know, at the time, like I obviously am in a relationship now. With my fiance and stuff like that, who is a woman and stuff. But back then, it's like, you know, things were wild. Like, you know, had sex with a couple male, you know, a couple males. Had sex with a couple transgender women over the years and stuff like that. It happens or what? I mean, Dude, like, it happens in Indiana for it, sure. It, I mean, well, the, <laughs> no, two, the two were in <laughs> Vegas and then one was here. But I mean, but anyway, so at the time in Indiana, yeah, that that happened in college and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. You experiment, you do, you know, kind of in college experiment with drugs, sex, who you like, who you love, whatever. Yeah. And I, you know, at the time I was like, yeah, I'm poly, you know, not polyamorous. What's the word? Uh, Pansexual. Yeah. Fall in love with the person, not the parts. Right. Mm -hmm. They don't like that in the military. So this dude's like. Cueing me yeah. in, dude, doing some like Mike don't, Pence. Don't ask, don't tell, right? Yeah, That's doing what the some whole thing. Mike Pence gay conversion therapy. Like, <laughs> what do you mean by you like, you like, uh, it's like pansexual, like parts, not the person. I'm like, yeah, dude, you find a like companionship with somebody. It doesn't matter what, what, you know, who they are, right? And the guy was just like, okay. So then he wrote all that shit down. Which you can never be too honest, dude, in the military. So yeah. for anyone who's a military listener, sorry, but you understand. You can't be honest. Yeah. So this dude's throwing it down the pipeline. I have to go to another therapist after I've been cleared twice. Go to another therapist, another therapist, another therapist. Got to the point where I quit going to therapy, stopped it, was depressed, was wanting to get out of the military, was being a shit ball. My sergeant came down the line uh, in 2015 because I had to leave my MOS, 35 Fox, which is military intelligence, 
which for a lot of people who don't know that, Chelsea Manning was military intelligence. Oh, okay, yeah. So that's basically like, you know, but I was the good soldier. I was doing everything I needed. Well, they revoked my clearance of sensitive compartment and information and top secret because they were like, this dude seems like he doesn't know what he wants. He's sexually ambiguous in his his personal life. He said he was suicidal over his mom. We don't know if he's going to go AWOL when he goes overseas. Forget that. So I was just like, okay, cool. Well, I'm going to try to improve my life. The sergeant tried to help me out. I moved out of 35, you know, being a that military specialty. Moved out of that after a, after a sergeant came up to me and said, you have cuts on your arms. What's going on? I was like, well, I was trying to kill myself because my mom killed her. Or my mom, like, died. And I felt like I couldn't do anything about it. I felt powerless over myself. Wow. And they're like, well, have you been taking any, you know, drugs or narcotics? I was like, a fucking course I have. <laughs> like, my mom just <laughs> killed herself. So, yeah, I've been smoking weed and I've been drinking and stuff like that. But if you test me now, I'm clean. But three months ago, I was, like, drinking and I was doing all that. And I was, once again, the honesty Don't, came don't be honest. Yeah. Don't be honest. <laughs> but I don't want to lie. You know, I don't, yeah. I'm not that kind of guy. So they're like, well, we're going to have to you know, get you into some programs and stuff like that. We're going to ship you out of this. We really don't know what to do with you. And we've kind of lost faith in you. And my hands are clean of you. So go down to the supply room. So this sergeant, he gets me into, you know, he gets me into doing a lot of good stuff. And I'm trying to make my comeback to being a good soldier. I'm trying to get on the mission to go to Guantanamo Bay because at one point I wanted to be a prison guard for life. Mm -hmm. You know, it didn't happen. So then uh, eventually I get the discharge papers in October 2016. They're like, hey, like I call my my uh, sergeant. I'm like, hey, man, what's going on? When am I supposed to report for duty? You haven't given me anything. And I got a discharge paper about two months ago. I thought you said everything was cool. Like I gave you all my papers. I'm cleared by my, my psychiatrist. She told me I was cool, but what am I supposed to do now? And he was just like, look, dude. You're not coming in. You're done. Uh, so have a good life. But if you want me to fight this for you, I can. But I'm kind of upset about it just like you are. But, you know, my suggestion to you is you can either come in on Monday, come see me, and try to stay in the military. Or you can do what you've always wanted to do. And I, and I was like, move to California? He's like, exactly. So those are your two options. Stay in, maybe be unhappy, or move to California and be happy. And I was like... All right, well, I'm just going to tell you I'm not coming in on Monday, and then that was it. Damn, dude, that's a wild-ass story. Sorry, Yeah, sorry it took so long to get no, to everything. No, dude, that was, like, super interesting. That was uh, that was a lot of uh, things I did not know about you, and yeah. it caught me off guard a little, but it's all all good, though. Digging the tunnel, dude. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, dude, I, li- I like it. It's it's always cool to hear, um, hear these things about people because then you get more perspective, you know, like... Yeah, where right. where someone's coming from and everything, so yeah, that's cool. So that was, you said that was 2015. So you moved to San Diego like right after that. So what I did was okay. So I had my best friend's wedding in Arkansas. At that time, like I had two friends tugging on my shoulder, kind of like you know you have like one guy that's like, dude, you should come here because I need another friend. Mm-hmm. And then the other guy was like, dude, no, you should come here because you should come to California. Like one guy's like, you should come to Arkansas because I need another friend. It would be cool to like have our kids go to the same schools. It would be cool to like live a life of like a small town atmosphere in the Bible Belt of America. Mm. And then this other guy's like, dude, you've been to California three times. You know, 
I want you to be a part of my kid's life. You know, I want you to be that uncle that like shows him cool stuff when he gets older, goes on trips, all that stuff. I want you to be a part of my life, dude. I want you to help me promote my shows when I go do my, my like, you know, he makes soundtracks and stuff like that. He does rap. So you have both of them like going back and forth. I went to my best friend's wedding in like Arkansas, the other one. And I told him, I was like, hey, man, look, dude, this isn't going to be a life for me. This small town life. I'm liberal. I like, first of all, I like weed. I love smoking a shitload of it. <laughs> I like having a good time. Yeah. I like traveling, traveling like from Arkansas up to the Looney Bin, like traveling from like one part of Arkansas all the way up to the northern part to just go to c- do comedy. It's not going to happen. Nah. I'd be hitting maybe three mics a week. But they're not in a general location of one another. I'd be yeah. driving an hour, and I'm It'd not. It'd be cool a lot of a lot of work for that three mics, huh? Kind of yeah. like Indianapolis, dude. You have like one mic here, one mic all the way over there, one mic over there, but they're they're in the same distance. But you have another part of Indiana where you had like you know Fort Wayne, and then you have Terre Haute. You would have to drive an hour to those shows if there's no mics going on on that night in Indianapolis. Mm. I wasn't willing to do that. So when I came out to San Diego. I like had already applied to jobs in Arkansas and San Diego just to put the, you know, let the chips fall where they may. Ended up doing an interview out here in December of 2016. Ended up getting the job in like January and then that was it. Cool. So, and I told my friend in Arkansas, I was like, sorry, dude, like the chips fell in like San Diego. Uh, Dude, I, I, I get what you're saying, man. That whole like that small town life just... It sucks, dude. I mean, it just doesn't, uh, like, uh, Bill Burr has a joke about, like, um, you know, uh, he didn't want to be that guy cleaning out his rain gutters, like, you know, like, and the neighbor comes over and tries to explain this new garden hose he got that's, like, designed by NASA or whatever. You're just like, dude, that's, That's I totally understand that. (laughs) I would rather hear stories like, like, we have a couple guys in the scene, dude. I would rather hear them go on and on and on about, like, Shit that doesn't even matter. Just mm-hmm. go on in a tangent. Yeah. Like, then go up to a buddy and just, he'd be like, hey, man, you want to see my new lawnmower? Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't, actually. <laughs> I'd rather hear this guy talking about his crazy past homelessness or something like that. Yeah, have him on a podcast and yeah. talk about being homeless twice. Yeah, yeah. or dude, like, <laughs> honestly, one of the biggest joys that I like about comedy and a lot of these guys, like whoever's listening, is gonna be like, "Oh man, this is some cheese dick shit. This yeah. is gonna be cheesy." But here's no; th- those are the inmates at Indiana. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, some of them do comedy out here. I think. Uh, okay, yeah, they might listen to this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but some some people are like, "Oh, this is gonna be cheesy." But I like going to the comedy, like you know, like comedy mics and stuff like that, or open mics. And I like before the show, like talking to people getting their input on different things about shows that I'm doing mm-hmm. about like op- open mic or like about the open mic about their life, what they got going on in their life, telling crazy stories and shit like that. I like yeah. doing that. Yeah. You've always been a uh, like really approachable. And um, I think uh, you were one of the first guys to kind of really like start talking to me in the scene. Cause I like, I just don't approach people. I'm like super, I, I described it with someone on the podcast the other day. It's kind of like uh, being in the comedy scene is kind of like when you start a new job, you know, and you're just like super timid and shy. And then like it's slowly I'm starting to get to know people and open up a little bit more. But bef- yeah. before all that, though, you were like one of the 
guys that was like super nice to me so i appreciate that yeah, yeah dude yeah. thanks man i appreciate it but that's yeah that's kind of what you did you just kind of like sat next to me and started asking me things I was like oh what a nice guy that's good stuff dude yeah, i mean yeah. that's the stuff that people are going to remember like 20 years down the road yeah i mean it's not just for payoff like some people are like yeah, yeah if i'm really cool with this guy he'll put me on a show and stuff like that yeah i mean that's a perk of it but um i i, I don't know at least the way what comedy is for me and i think um i mean i think if comedy is important to you it's not it's not just because you're trying to like make it in comedy and be famous or or you know make a living like a lot of it is just um looking for like the camaraderie or like you know just trying to improve your life and uh that's actually why i started doing it i just was in a bad place and uh just like thought an open mic was a good idea went and did it i loved it and and it's totally it's totally uh improved my life a shit ton since i started doing it so well dude it helps i mean it helps you out a lot too like i mean mm-hmm. when you're like so like what how i look at it is it's good to talk to different people in the scene and get their get their points of view. Mm-hmm. Right? For example, if you have one guy that's over there being a negative Nancy, which sometimes I can be a negative Nancy, I'm like, dude, this yeah. Well, it's a grind. Sucks. Why am I not getting on the shows? Da, da, da. Yeah, it's but a it's, it's a like, grind. So it's it's it gets frustrating sometimes, you know. Yeah. Like it's just part of it. I think. Yeah. 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 And what keeps you positive is like talking to different people and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like I can bitch and complain all day about like why isn't this dude put me on a show and stuff like that. But it's kind of like a help me help you. I look at it like, you know, I'll put you on my show. You put me on your show. I can do the time, dude. I'm not going to make you look bad. I'm going to promote the shit out of your show. Mm-hmm. I've always, like, there are some people in the scene that's like, I've always enjoyed your show, dude. If I say, honestly, if I say your show is a bucket list show that I'd like to be on, dude, that says a lot right there. I yeah. don't think I have any people in the comedy scene that I hear saying like, hey, man, that's a bucket list show I'd like to be on. Some people just use people to get the stage time. But other people should just allow themselves to understand what the show is going to be. Try to help the show grow because without that show, you're not gonna. The scene's not gonna prosper. You're gonna have mm-hmm. one less show, one less mic. Yeah. Like, and that's what sucks, dude. Because there's like one club in town or whatever that, mm-hmm. like, their stuff has gone down to like two two times a week, and that yeah. sucks. Mm-hmm. But like, if more people, instead of just getting the stage time, if more people would have been out there like promoting the shows and like believing in the shows and trying to help the place and stuff like that i think it would have allowed it to grow a little bit more yeah and if they would have put the opportunity into a different set of hands than the same people i think you would have had like more growth within that club and i'm not i don't know how that club you know completely runs but i think it would have been better if you would have had more people fresh faces trying to put on different shows and like fresh faces trying to reach out to people fresh faces trying to do your like media instead of just the same people yeah switch it up a little bit the the one thing i can say um for sure in san diego is it seems like um it seems kind of like what you're saying the the comedy scene could be like fostered a little bit more than what it is like um granted like i like i get that there's a seniority aspect of it and like when you've been around and you've put in the time and the work like you deserve to get your um you know get your opportunities and stuff uh but it does seem like um it does seem like putting up fresh faces well one they're gonna bring people because people haven't seen them yet so they're they're gonna like people that haven't seen them tell their jokes that like they work with or whatever are gonna show up to the show so you're gonna get more people um and then then what they could do with that for the club is they could say let me get your email 
email address or whatever. Mm-hmm. If you like that show with the other comics on the show, they're going to be here. So plug those other comics' names and then also just get an email list from those indiv- individuals yeah. that they did bring to the show for future Madhouse shows. Give those people good deals. Yeah. Because I know that some shows, like there was like a, a Polly Shore was on a show one weekend at that club and then uh, Jamie Kennedy. I mean, that's, that's you know, fresh stuff right there. Yeah. You know, if you treat our show like that we have on a Tuesday, like a main room show, uh, if you treat our show like phenomenally, then we're going to treat you like come if you came to this show how about the next time we give you free tickets yeah the only thing that we want is that you do a two drink minimum and stuff like that or yeah. something like that and that's yeah. good, that could allow the club to prosper a lot better yeah yeah i don't i mean i don't really know a lot of the business aspect of it or like you know well, a, the business uh, aspect is huge yeah i mean dude honestly like when i was learning about stuff back at morty's comedy joint and stuff like that i learned a hell of a lot of stuff like mm-hmm. the two drink minimum is key like yeah. Just buy something. And, like, yeah. a lot of people, a lot of my friends or whatever, like, that I work with will be like, oh, man, a two-drink minimum. Okay, you don't have to buy the 9 to $15 hummus. You don't have to do that. That's not your choice. Eat before you come, but at least buy a Perrier or a coffee, dude. Yeah. Or at least buy, like, a Perrier and a freaking Red Bull. Yeah. Like, I get it. Drink minimums suck. But at the end of the day, you're paying as much as what you would at a comedy club as if you went to a movie theater and you just watched a fucking flick. And right. that's it. And yeah. you're not getting anything. You're getting people talking at you from a screen. At a comedy club, you're getting laughs. Yeah. And those laughs are so psychologically balancing to your heart yeah. and your mind that you're actually getting more from that comedy show and learning from people's life experiences than you are on some damn movie screen. Dude, li- so. live, com- live comedy is its own. I mean, that's it's such it's a great piece. experience. Yeah, it's a... Uh, if uh, if there's anybody listening that hasn't gone to a live comedy show, just go re- to one. Yeah, go so support some local comedians. Find a local show and ju- show and just uh, especially just have a San good time. Diego, dude. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But yeah, dude. I mean, when I think about it, when I talk to, uh, we go back to the whole aspect about like you know it's your it's kind of like your first day on the job when you're popping into the comedy scene and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Well. Now that I look at it or whatever, being like a, a veteran, I guess you could say, I mean, I don't, I still kind of figure like I'm kind of like a junior and like the, the, I'm not a senior yet or whatever. Like I'm learning so much from the people around me. Like I'm learning so much from people who promote their own shows in the scene. They're showing me how to promote. Mm-hmm. They're not wanting to see me get screwed anymore or anything like that. Not that they were in the first place, but the fact that they want to see, they see that I'm taking my comedy seriously. People respect that. But then again, you also got to look at the people that are newer and stuff like that. Like yeah. you want to, you should. A lot of the veterans want to see, and the, most of the veterans want to see the newer people fail, because they want them to move aside. They don't want them to steal the veteran flame that they have going or whatever, because now they're no longer that big fish in a small pond. Now they're a small fish in a big pond, and now they got to try to continue to make their way. They got to continue mm-hmm. to work twice as hard to get those spots because this young buck is coming in, taking it twice to three times four times more seriously because maybe this veteran slowed up well maybe if that veteran would work with that young buck they could work together and eventually produce shows or be on shows or travel together yeah that's kind of what i want i'd like to like meet people hopefully maybe through this this uh, avenue like the podcasting and just like uh you know produce stuff together like I, i don't know i feel like um yeah i just I feel like there there's uh there's so many people in San Diego and like the people here love art, you know, like the like whether it's Oh yeah, dude. Whether yeah. it's in like 
it whatever kind of art it part. is. Yeah, but it seems like the uh, the comedy scene could do a lot better. Um, like there, it just seems like there's a lot of opportunity for it that's maybe being missed. Is all. Well, there's a lot of venues yeah. like that you yeah. can try. But what I like yeah. about it is that when the new ve- when the veterans are like uh, scouting and stuff like that for people to put on shows. What I do, like as someone who's, you know, been around for three, you know, four years, I like to like look for people that I'd like to travel with Uh, for people that aren't going to fucking come into my car and just complain and bitch about shit that's not relevant. Dude, I'll buy you a green tea frappuccino. Yeah, (laughs) there you go. That's cool. (laughs) That's cool. And like, but you also got to connect with those people up in the valley doing like valley comedy and shit up at Coachella and stuff like that. Yeah, like work with those people. Oh, that area is growing like crazy for like the comedy scene there. Yeah, Yeah, so like that's kind of exciting. I think Nigel's doing his thing up there and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. And Dakota, dude, they're great dudes to to plug with and yeah. talk to. Those are the hood guys, right? Yeah. The hood bar? Yeah. yeah hood bar and yeah. then plan B. Oh like, yeah, yeah, dude. yeah, plan B. And so when I travel up there, I want some fucking cool guys that are going to go up there. We're going to have fun, dude, because we're traveling up through the valley, dude. We're going to Coachella. We're <laughs> actually going to Coachella, but we're going through Coachella Valley, dude. We're having a good time. That's the stuff that I want to see. Yeah. Like yeah. I remember taking a trip when I was like I think it was like 2018 or whatever. It was like me, a couple other like Walter know a couple other guys or whatever and we were going up to see uh going to the comedy store and yeah like there was some couple dudes doing bumps in the back seat whatever dude and there was people like smoking weed whatever dude doesn't matter but we get up there to the comedy store and one guy was like dude why are you walking out of the room i know that you just saw one of your favorite comics but this guy's a genius Hmm. and i'm like dude i don't yeah whatever like i don't i don't i don't care man i'm walking out of the room i'm gonna go talk to the guy that i just saw on stage i want to shake his hand he's like no no no. you want to listen to this guy you want to look at this guy this is the guy that you want to study on stage and it was brody stevens but i never would have known who the hell brody stevens was or whatever until that comic came up to me and was like dude you want to check this guy out it may be the last time you ever and he was like it may be the last time you ever see him you may you might not be able to see him do this he's gonna get big dude and he might not do the comedy store as much i'm like okay well eventually like unfortunately brody passed mm-hmm. but without that comic plugging me into different comics and showing me like who were great comics to like study from i would have never known yeah. and that's what we need in the comedy scene different comics working together to show each other different comics who have a certain type of technique that we might study and that we might want to grow from or learn from yeah so, yeah, dude, Brody is a freaking monster. His yeah, own dude. own guy, too. And like I would have never thing. known unless yeah. that comic worked with me and plugged me in to yeah. understand him. So. Yeah, I never... Well, I, I guess I, I sort of saw him live because he hosted one of the oddball festivals that I was at. But, um, th- like, the problem with those festivals was there's so many people and he was kind of walking around in the crowd. So you didn't really get a... F- it was, like, too big for him. You know, like, the comedy store is a little bit more intimate. And it's like perfect for him because you can see his like high kicks and like you feel his energy. But when he's like swallowed in like 40,000 people or whatever, it's like uh, I, you don't really feel well, it quite odd, as much. The Oddball Festival, where does that take place at? Uh, I don't know. I don't even know if they do it anymore. But uh, when I went, it was uh, um, it was like a traveling thing. And I went to the Orange County one. It oh, was okay. like in Irvine or something like that. Um, Freaking monster lineups, though. I mean, it was... Uh, Louis C.K. before his thing happened. Uh, Dave Chappelle just dropped in and did like an hour. Dude, uh, Jesus. Bill I Burr, Jim Gaffigan, 
like just monsters. Jim it was Gaffigan's from he's an Indiana. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's right. Dude. That's right. Yeah, pasty Indiana white Indiana Indians, guy dude, coming through. Yeah, man. yeah. We're about uh, to take over the scene, man. Yeah, dude. There, yeah. There's a lot of you guys for sure. Um, but yeah, dude. Well, you get a you get a, a unique perspective, like being from Indiana. Like I was born and raised in California, so I just sound the same as all these guys. But you guys have a little bit different perspective. So there's a lot. I mean, there's there's a lot a lot to learn, dude. Like for example, someone who we learn a lot from you guys, like being a transplant and coming here, and then you guys being here, we learn yeah. a lot. Like for the, example, Brody. You know, he's like, 818 until I die. And he's, like, <laughs> talking about, you know, he's talking about the valley. He's talking about, like, Palm Springs. He's talking about, like, being around his mom. He's talking about, you know, like, how it is to live out in California and McDonald's drive throughs That's funny shit that we wouldn't pick up in Indiana too much. Oh, uh, yeah. Because, yeah. like, our McDonald's, they try to keep it so clean. That's the only thing we have to market. <laughs> out here, it's like, uh, McDonald's, yeah, we originated it, whatever. We originated out in San Bernardino, 1953, whatever. But out there, we're like, dude, McDonald's is life, especially <laughs> at one in the morning after you get done at a bar. Yeah. yeah. But you guys That's like the have, only time it's good, really. Exactly. I don't know. <laughs> well, you guys are you guys got like a lot stronger, like of a, a pride for like your city and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, I could see that. And nice. The nice thing about um, I'm actually from like central California, which is like bakersfield sort of just north of bakersfield yeah uh so that area which is rough yeah close to fresno that's where my supervisor from she's like oh fresno dude she's like i like san diego way better so much to do when i go to fresno fresno i hate it i'm like yeah but if you look at the the good parts of it like bakersfield always has good strip clubs oh or okay. meth yeah. <laughs> or both yeah probably a little bit of both. but they're more interesting up there there's not shit going on so people always want to rattle shit up yeah no i uh i actually really like uh i'm from a town called visalia and i actually really like i heard visiting about home it's mm-hmm. this one uh, other comic in the scene he's like yeah, oh I'm yeah colton yeah colton's like yeah, yeah i'm from visalia dude and like a lot of people talk about like they talk about teen pregnancy up there. Oh yeah, Tulare County, the county that uh, Visalia is in. When I don't know if it's the, the same now, but when we were growing up, it was the highest teen reg- pregnancy rate in the country. Damn, so, dude! I yeah. feel like Indiana was almost competing with you, dude. Yeah. And then I... and then Fresno uh, at one point was the highest car theft rate per capita when I was growing up too. I don't know if but it's how, the same. Like, what is there to do in Fresno? Is that it? Steal cars. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, uh, but I, I like visiting now. Like, I think that um, they're, they've built up Visalia a lot, like the downtown. There's a lot of good places to eat and stuff, but I don't really like to spend too many days there. But I, 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 mean, like, I like going, visiting my family. There's a couple cool spots to hit and then come home, you know? Yeah. Well, but, I mean, it's got its advantages, dude. Like, when I go back to Indiana, dude, it, there's, like, some – okay, so, like, when you go back to, like, Visalia, is it – how can I put this? Are aren't there like are there parts of it that you're like, dude, this is like the armpit of America right here, like and I Yeah, there's parts of it. But like you that. love the nostalgia of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean there's there's parts of it like that, but I mean most of it's pretty nice, really. It's just really suburban, you know? Like it's it's the people that wanted to settle down and have have a family. It's like I mean that's the kind of town that, that it is. Yeah, that's yeah. their life, dude. Like yeah. for me, I'm just like I get so I don't want to I don't want to do that. I don't want to settle down mm-hmm. and have a life yet. Like I right. I told my fiance I was like, dude, we'll have kids in like three or four years. We get married next year. Let's fucking have life to ourselves for like two years. Yeah. Because how uh, how old are you? 
I'm 30. So. Yeah, you got time. Yeah, and yeah. I, I was like, yeah, 33 would be the time, you know, like, mm-hmm. like if Jesus was still around and he wanted to <laughs> fuck more, that would be the time where he'd be like, yeah, I think I could have a kid and settle down. Yeah, yeah he'd trade in his Birkenstocks and uh, get some get some nice kicks. Yeah, try and dude, get some there you j- go. Chicks, yeah. he'd, get, he'd get some like, what is it, <laughs> New Balances, like yeah. Steve Jobs and some <laughs> jeans, and then he'd just start pounding bitches, dude. <laughs> start mowing lawns and his white. Mowing lawns and shit, <laughs> trying to dirty them up. But no, yeah. dude, that's, I mean, when I go back to like Indiana, I'm like, uh, you know, I found some central hubs that I kind of like, mm-hmm. like just because of the nostalgia of it. Yeah. Like I, I don't like Indiana. Yeah. That's part of it. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. got to like the nostalgia. Mm-hmm. And like when me and, uh, when I went back, I booked a show at the, the green diamond junction, which is a bar that I would always drive by. Like with my like stepdad, like we would go clean out houses or whatever. After people got evicted, we clean their houses out. And then after that, we'd go get coffee across this, uh, across the way at this marathon right across from the green diamond junction i'm like what happens there and he was just like well uh it's a whole lot of drugs and it's a lot of fucking drinking i'm like it sounds like my kind of place to be <laughs> and that's what i said at that time i don't drink now or anything but i was like i think i'd like to do a show there and stuff so i did a show there and i was like dude that's nostalgic and now yeah. walter's going to do a show there oh, at cool. the green diamond junction next oh, month that's right and that's nostalgic for me yeah. reminds me of my stepdad i like going there Indianapolis, 39th mm-hmm. and Meridian. I used to live over there. Yeah. Nostalgic taking those drives and stuff. Yeah. So while, you know, Indiana may be, they call it the crossroads of America. I call it the armpit of America. But I still have some things I enjoy about it when I go back, I guess. So. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, there's a there's a lot of memories there. And, um, like, I, I'm just talking about my hometown. Um, and then just, like, seeing my family and stuff, too. You know, it's just all. You get to like, see the. Kind of stuff. Well, I mean, it's always good to see not. Like like some people don't, they they don't change. They be, they're themselves, and that's mm-hmm. good to have that consistency. Yeah. Sometimes out here you'll notice people like one day they're like, they're like super cool, but over time they become like assholes for some reason, mm. and the city gets to them, makes them jaded. Yeah. And part of me like you know I'm not gonna lie, part of me like, part of me like I'm really like happy, and then but there's like that five or fifth, five up to fifteen percent that's jaded. Yeah. Like, I'm like, dude, I'd rather be somewhere else than working the job I do now. It's rewarding, but yeah. I'd rather be doing comedy and writing and touring and doing yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, I feel that for sure. I'd rather be doing all that too. Yeah. yeah. But the people that you have that are like, I want to settle down. I want to have a family. I want to have five kids. Yeah. It's like, yeah, but you said that at 16 <laughs> and now you have six kids at 30 yeah. four that's insane dude but <laughs> at what point do you forget like where to put the con- contraceptive <laughs> and when to put them on yeah you know yeah i had a i had a friend tell me the other day that her coworker uses condoms but was pregnant somehow and i was like where is she, what is she putting condoms, the condom on condoms but was pregnant yeah. i mean it could happen <laughs> dude dude one time like i was having sex and uh the condom got stuck inside uh, the, the woman or whatever. I've heard of that happening before. It happens all the time. Yeah. So I had to fish it out, but I had to go deep in there and then like <laughs> fish it out. Like, like come here, like dude. Come here. <laughs> and if you guys can't see this at home or whatever, like I'm doing the, the, the come here with the finger thing. And that's how I had to get it out. But I took like my two fingers, pinched them together and then pulled that sucker out. You got nimble fingers, dude. You could, you, I guess, yeah. dude. And I thought that the, the come might've come out at the time. So I told yeah. her, I was like, is there any way that you could just like lie upside down in the shower and just have me like spray one in there? 
<laughs> like spray like it out with a fire hose or something and she was just like don't be a fucking idiot you're gonna be fine <laughs> she uh, i think she was correct with that but uh i don't know all right um so i i normally ended at about an hour we're at hour 10 um cool. let's get some plugs in real quick and uh cool, cool. and um yeah uh you're you're producing the show for td tomorrow or no yeah yeah so okay so uh that's it's not gonna be out by tomorrow so i I don't know when i brought that up but i just i'm just excited about that show oh dude it'll be dude come on out uh if they ask your name and stuff like that like just say billy sent you dude you'll be the probably the only one that'll get comp a comp ticket dope and uh well uh, yeah td's doing some big stuff but we had what we had to do is we had to combine shows Mm -hmm. so at the comedy palace tomorrow you're gonna have two headliners in the gold room at seven o'clock is when the show starts, uh, so you'll have Bilal Young, Maximilian Mantikoff, James Hancock, yeah. Monterey All Martinez, really funny people. Yeah, yeah Walter Ford. Uh, TD is going to be the last comic. He's going to be headlining, but also headlining is going to be K Nine because we had to combine shows mm. to accommodate for the show at nine thirty. Oh, okay. Um, there's also like Willie G Caldwell's show is going to be on Saturday. I'll be on that with Adam Love, but Bilal Young, Walter Ford, Noah Dean Tidwell. Um, I think that I have a show with Ray Montoya on Tuesday, another show on Thursday, and then I got a show next month with Celine Whittington on August 9th. Dope. Um, what are your social media handles and all that kind of stuff? So it'll be, I think it's like Billy period Orm, and then I'll plug Walter out there too, the real yeah. Walter Ford, if you guys want to follow him. He yeah. always says boop. He's got his own clothing line, boop. <laughs> Dope. Um, and then my fiance Michelle Cooklin, but it, cool. she goes by Michelle Marie Yo on uh, Instagram. So dope, awesome. Well, thank you for coming on, dude. That was uh, that was quite the ride. Yeah, dude. We, we went we went a lot of different places there. That was fun. Hell yeah, dude. Thanks again, man. <laughs> All right, see you. Fucking dope. Um, that was a hard P on that. I wonder if it that probably popped. Right? Did that bother you? Did it make a big pop sound? Do I need a pop filter on my microphone? I probably should have one. Hey, how good was that episode? And how awesome is Billy Orm? Um, dude, awesome, awesome person. Just such a great guy. I really enjoyed. Um. I enjoyed recording the podcast with him, like the um, real-time talking to him, and almost just as much I, I enjoyed listening to it back. I just, um, you know, he's just got a way about him. He's calm, uh, positive energy, uh, just all-around great guy. So uh, definitely check him out, um, Billy.Orm on Instagram. Uh, find him on Facebook. Give him a follow. Uh, go to his comedy shows, both the ones that he's produces and the ones that he's in, and um, support local arts and local comedy guys. Do it. Like that's how that's how we grow as a community, as artists, as people. Um, so get out there and be supportive. Um, I really appreciate you guys listening. And per usual, if uh, you'd like to be on the podcast, to reach out to me. Um, I've got a few people lined up right now, but man, I'll get you on. We're um I'm having a great time doing this and great time 
getting to know people and meeting people and uh it's just been really cool if um also if you'd like to hear something discussed um like if you're um interested in in a particular thing that maybe goes on in uh the comedy scene in san diego and you're like wanting to get in on it or uh if there's just you know a topic that you think would be interesting or funny to hear comedians discuss or you know anything anything that you think would improve the podcast i'm open ears um i i i just want it to continue to get better i want it to continue to grow and um i'd like i'd like for it to be something special between you and me you know what i mean what if it became something awesome and we did it together and um you know and like 10 years from now it's it's some big thing or it's still the same size and i still love it i don't know dude i i don't know i'm really tired right now it's late and uh had a late night but anyway um thank you guys so much for listening if you like the podcast please hit subscribe and uh tell your friends about it i mean you know let's uh let's work on this together i really really appreciate you guys and uh i love you bye